Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Got an awesome guest here today. His name is Preston Alexander. Preston is a former founder of a health tech startup with a successful exit. In this episode, we talk about, do clinicians really need an MBA? What you need to do as a health tech startup to get your product in front of people? And why a clinician is so valuable in any health tech startup. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Hey guys, uh, I have an awesome episode today uh, with my friend Preston Alexander. I'm sure some of you guys have come across some of his um, awesome posts on LinkedIn, but Preston, for the few that might not know you, do you mind giving a little background about yourself? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Zane. Really excited to be here and talk to you today. So I uh, have a little bit different background than a lot of folks in healthcare and from the world you come from, for sure. I come from the industry side. So after getting an MBA a few years back, I sort of, as I say, accidentally tripped into healthcare as you know, you, you get you get close to graduation, you're like, Oh, man, now I need to get a job somewhere. So I did what everyone, you know, everyone normally does and just shotgun applied and sent my resume to a billion people into the void. And somehow, uh, the two callbacks I got were both healthcare companies and one ended up being a medical device company. Uh, which was really great. I got to be in a product management role in a med device company off the jump. Um, and it was just, it was awesome. I sort of fell in love with healthcare, thought medical devices were super interesting and kind of never looked back. So I went from that company to another one. And then after a few years, uh, decided, well, maybe I'll try my hand at this uh, medical device thing on my own. So I launched a medical device company uh, right at the beginning of 2020. And we had, uh, you know, challenges as everyone did throughout the years. But then uh, a couple years later, at the end of 2021, um, with our partner, we had a strategic partnership, we sold the business uh, to someone. And I've been still working there for the last year or so. And all throughout have been just on a crusade a little bit to learn as much as I can about healthcare, to share my opinions, to learn from others, meet interesting people, because there's a lot in healthcare, as you know, and everybody probably listening knows uh, that they could work much, much better. So I've really made myself over the last couple of years a student of healthcare to try to come up with um, some solutions uh, on, on small scale, big scale, et cetera, for how we can help kind of address some of the issues at, at hand. And that's what I'm excited about and what I'm excited for the future is finding the right people and working with folks on some really exciting solutions that I think are out there that could really be transformative to healthcare. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome, man. That's a great background. And I think that, um, I believe that having people outside of healthcare coming into healthcare is really beneficial for us in healthcare for a couple of reasons. And one of the biggest one is just, we get so caught up in our I mean, we, we we just get so caught up in what's wrong and 
and we're just kind of like wallowing in our own like pity and it's nice to have somebody else come in not only to highlight like hey this is working this is working and also to tell us like hey you guys aren't the only sector that's dealing with this there's other sectors that are and well but you know these sectors did fix this problem this way maybe we can try it here that's the one thing about and and you can maybe touch on this too you know you came from a non-healthcare background but one thing i noticed from healthcare people versus non-healthcare people like technologists is like when you go to healthcare people and ask them like hey why don't we try this? They'll be like, ah, oh, no, you know, there's, there's like a hundred different excuses, right? Patient safety, all this stuff. Um, and then you talk, talk to a technologist about it. So it's a problem. They're like, their first quite, their first thing will be, they'll, they'll ask you more questions, but they'll be like, Hmm, that sounds interesting. Uh, let me give that a try. I mean, have you kind of noticed the same thing or. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think coming from the device side, we saw this all the time and, you know, I think whatever the statistic is, you know, made up, inflated, or otherwise, is that it takes an average of like 17 years, or it did at least a few years back, for either new technology or new practices specifically to to make it into mainstream medical practice. And I think that that's, uh, for a lot of the right reasons, kind of a cultural phenomenon, because you have really, really high stakes in healthcare and in uh, medical practice. In clinical practice so to just sort of come and say oh cool let's try this new thing uh it's like okay like on who you know or or where so there's definitely that aspect it's like really a high bar that needs to be met i think there's probably some middle ground that we could reach right like in technology and in business and to be fair I've been part of some really large international multi-billion dollar companies and they move just about as slow as any hospital you've ever been in and you're, you know, working in your life too. Um, and it's really just a risk aversion kind of thing. So startups are great because they want to just try things. They know, Hey, we don't have it all figured out. Let's try adapt, try again. Big businesses are risk averse, right? They want to just protect the bottom, the top and bottom lines. And as long as they're not, you know, losing money, everybody's kind of fat and happy and they just want to stay the course. And so, you know, that's two sides of the same coin, basically, in healthcare. It's not about, um, well, that's a different discussion. But for the sake of this line of reasoning, it's not necessarily, it's not about like, you know, the money aspect. It's like patient safety, right? So how do we just try something new? without understanding the, the clinical outcomes, you know, the data behind it, how it's working. So I think that with that in mind, though, there are a lot more opportunities for healthcare in the right forums and in the right ways to try and adopt in sort in you know, small piloted type of mechanisms uh, or partnering with industry in the right ways, try new things because, I, you know, whether that's, in medical practice and you know, pharmacy practice and physical therapy, wherever it is, everyone really ultimately benefits when we can, when there's an environment that's open to trying something new, to testing things out and to really take an iterative approach to improvement overall. So while I do see it more in business, I mean, business can be just as recalcitrant as healthcare in general, but it's important for both sides to adopt this, a different type of mentality and figure out the way to approach it in the right context and setting. So, I mean, that's really interesting you say that. I mean, yeah, 
So why do you think, I mean, it could be that, you know, the space that we're in, why do you think that there's so much focus on healthcare being so slow versus like these bigger companies? Is it because those big companies have already created an impact or it's because those big companies aren't really dealing with really serious things? I don't know if that question makes sense. Um, no, I think it makes sense. And I mean, in terms of like the speed, maybe it just gets glossed over a little bit because uh, again, like in these big companies, I mean, the, the speed is, is painfully slow too. Faster than healthcare, but still painfully slow, I would say, to get things done and the approvals and everything like that. And I think in some ways, like to your point earlier, it's like healthcare gets a bad rap for a lot of the right reasons, but healthcare also unfairly gets a bad rap. And part of it, that part of the unfair bad rap, I think has been more a symptom of so much tech trying to capitalize on the opportunity of healthcare versus really understanding traditional healthcare, how it's delivered, uh, clinical outcomes, clinical impact, the, the data requirements, all of that stuff. And they're saying like, well, why can't they just do this? Or why can't they just do that? I'm like, well, you don't understand, obviously, like how traditional healthcare functions. And not to say it's all right, but, you know, I think that that's the aspect where it's really gotten an unfair kind of bad rap. You can poke fun at like, I don't know, whatever, take, why did, whatever reason Deloitte's popping into my head, some big giant company that has a lot of bureaucracy and it's like, oh, they should move faster. They should this. And it's like, yeah, they probably should because you know what? No one's life is on the line. And if like a consultant is like not following a better process, but if a pharmacist is having to, you know, follow certain workflows and processes and check for, you know, negative drug interactions or something like that, they damn well better follow the right steps and processes and to come in and say, you should just be moving faster. Why don't you just adopt this technology? I think is sort of a false premise and doesn't really benefit, you know, the, the healthcare industry. So it's just about the balance and it's, you know, where that rap is fair and where it's unfair. Yeah, no, I think that I mean, you touched on a lot of great points there, but one you're, you're definitely right. I think that tech, general tech, like big tech is so used to just putting something out there and it just being adopted, right? And and they can put it out in beta form. It can be in beta for like, I think Gmail was in beta for like six, seven, ten years almost, something oh, wow. crazy like that. Uh, I'm, <laughs> but like in healthcare, we can't work in beta. Like we have to, because everything is in production. Anything that's in production is going to affect the patient in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And we are extremely, uh, for good reason, we are extremely risk averse in healthcare, right? Where, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the litigation behind it all. And also there's another human life on the other end of our decisions. And that's very, you know, when we're in healthcare, we're constantly thinking about that. But what do you think is a, you know, you mentioned that it takes 17 years for something to get into like mainstream. Is there a way that we can strike that balance and maybe speed up that process um, between like tech and healthcare? Yeah, I was just thinking about that too, as you were sort of saying it. And I, it's, I almost feel like health tech or technology or what have you could take an approach or a, a note out of the medical device playbook and, and the regulatory requirements around it. So if you think of a company like Intuitive Surgical, for example, and for anyone who doesn't know, Intuitive Surgical makes the robots uh, that 
that do minimally invasive surgery and they're really cool and cost a ton of money and you know that's a different discussion but um they have intuitive has across the country um all of these training centers for doctors and intuitive partners with and a lot of medical device partners with medical schools and there are now pathways like i have a friend who is now he did a one-year fellowship in san diego in robotic surgery exclusively working with intuitive surgical robots and so now he is you know a very proficient uh general surgeon and uses a lot of the da vinci robot systems and so taking that approach it's you know there's a lot of regulatory you know, back end but how can you set up a connection between early clinical practice i.e medical school, residency, you know, nursing school, training, whatever clinical area you're in, that connection between the industry and then the practice. Because part of it is, like I mentioned, that culture is who you're learning from. And when you go to residency, if you're a doctor, you know, and you're learning from a 67-year-old, you know, super grumpy, like, maverick surgeon or whatever, like, he's going to be like, or she's going to be like, you do it. This this is the way, right? There's no other room. Like, maybe they're old school, wherever. And so how do you connect better um, upstream with people learning that are still trying to see, well, maybe there are some new techniques that I should or could be open to before just learning like the way we've always done it. Um, and I think there's a real opportunity for tech there to do the similar or the same things. Like how do you connect with the people who will eventually be practicing and eventually be like the ones, the, 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 the doctors, those in charge, the pharmacists who are leading the way and say, well, how have you thought about trying it this way? Or here's, some really great information, some great training, some great data, because you always got to come with the data, with the clinical support. You can't just like have, you know, a testing facility, right? And say, let's get some people and they'll be our guinea pigs. But how can you also do that and create the connection between where people are still open to the new ways of learning and doing things and then actually bringing it to them? I think it'd be a real opportunity for health tech to take a page out of the device playbook in that respect. That's actually, I've never actually thought about that. Um, I've talked to some people that are trying to change the way that, med, you know, people are being educated in the meds in like medicine, like pharmacy, whatever, or whatever it is. But I never thought about integrating your startup into these schools because, you know, a lot of times I, th I think, and you'll have a captive audience too, right? Cause these, everyone there is there to learn. And if they can see that, value while they're learning it because there's a you know like for example like in pharmacy school like we use certain like tools to like you know look up things and we got really comfortable with them and then when we got out in practice we either asked for them or you know we lobbied to get for these hospitals to like our our departments to get them because we were just so used to it and we found value in it and that kind of is kind of the same line you're taking in Honestly, that's fascinating. I've literally never thought about that. <laughs> and I think that's a great way of integrating um, things, especially. And then also, it's that's a way to kind of get data too, right? Because uh, mm -hmm. you, you have real life people using it and you can get real time data and you can use that beta, quote unquote, beta mindset 
you know, like you can you can push out like updates to the school. It's not going to really hurt anything. They can like practice with it, and if it works, then you can kind of slowly move into production. I really, man, I really like that idea a lot. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome to it. Steal it for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. But so you know, having a non-traditional healthcare background, what were some of the issues that you saw that traditional business doesn't really have to deal with? I guess maybe we can focus that a little bit more. But you know, like in like with healthcare startups, let's let's just start. Let's maybe let's start with healthcare startups. Like, what are some of the biggest issues you, you see with healthcare startups in general when they're trying to break into healthcare? I mean, I think the biggest one probably that everyone's facing is who pays. Um, you know, because ultimately, healthcare, it, it's you know there are there are no other industries like it, right? Where like who's paying for this? Does my insurance company pay for it? Am I paying for it? Ultimately, I'm paying for it because I pay my insurance company. Um, you know, your taxes go to healthcare. It's like, who is the person or the people, or am I out of pocket directly? So I think that that's the big issue. And that's the d- big difference between like any traditional business is like, you have your customer, uh, identified, like even in medical devices, it's still healthcare, uh, industry, but the hospital pays. Right. And then if you want someone else to pay, you, you, have, you have reimbursement codes, but really the hospital's still paying and it's up to them to get the reimbursement. And you just kind of support and help that more of a marketing tactic than anything else. Um, so I think that's the big that's the big issue. Number one, uh, from a business model perspective, and then the biggest second, I wouldn't even say secondary, probably the primary one, but not business model specific, arguably um is outcomes and, and clinical outcomes because again tying back to you know what we were talking about why don't people move faster why isn't healthcare adopting trying whatever like because he- healthcare needs to be an outcome driven data driven practice industry so how are health tech companies digital health companies proving that their solution whether it is just cost savings uh actually re- you know, can capture that cost savings? Where's the data? And then how are they improving outcomes? Where's the data from that perspective? So I think those are really the two biggest things. One more very much so from a just basic business perspective, where's the money coming from? And two, you know, if you want to have everyone clamoring to pay for it, uh, prove it, you know, prove that you are actually doing what you say you're capable of doing outcome-wise or cost-wise. Yeah, the outcome part of it, I think, trips up a lot of people because they think that i mean I, I get i get hit up sometimes um and the person's like hey can you introduce us to a hospital system or whatever and my first question is wait i haven't even seen your product yet like can we at least see that and then my second question is like you know do you have any data backing up some of these claims or you know do you <clears throat> have you run any you know the dreaded p word pilots <laughs> uh have you run any pilots or anything like that and a lot of times they'll be like well why do we you know like you'll look you'll kind of get like this perplex, perplex look as to like you know no you should just trust us and and i think like outside of healthcare yeah that that works because there's the stakes aren't as high right, right. that's the biggest thing you know like you know i can maybe try a calendar app or you know whatever like a seo out you know engine thing whatever in the end, it's just, you know, it's, it's just me in a sandbox by myself. But when healthcare, we're, again, I don't think, I don't think people really realize the gravity of every decision we make is they could really have some, hopefully good, but also really bad consequences. And I think that 
And I don't want to say that these health tech companies don't care. They do care. I think that they're, but they're so singly focused on the solution, the problem that they're trying to solve that they don't always, you know, see the bird's eye view of all the things that are happening. Do you see yeah. the same thing? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I definitely agree. And I think it ties back into, are you a healthcare company or are you a tech company capitalizing on the healthcare opportunity? Um, and, you know, two points to that, if I may. One, just quickly, sort of like a, anybody out there who may be listening, who's like involved in a health tech company and wants to like uh, generate some data, just like a fun tip. Like the most important thing you have to do when you're collecting data is get baseline data. So if you want to run a pilot and you want to get like outcome data or say, how did we improve? You have to delay your implementation for at least six months just to collect the baseline data. So you have something to compare to. So that's my like little plug for data collection, which is really important and a lot of people miss. Um, and anyway, so the point about like, are you a healthcare company or a tech company in healthcare is really important. And I think it's something that you and I have talked about in the past and I've written and talked about is the importance of having clinicians involved from the very beginning at a very high level, whether that's a co-founder or higher number one or two, or, you know, on the executive board, helping steer decisions not just, oh yeah, we have a CMO figurehead who sets up our, you know, captive uh, physician entity so that we can, you know, pay physicians uh, as contractors. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really steering companies and helping them understand, like you said, that 30,000 foot bird's eye view of how all of this works, the interconnectedness and the implications ultimately that everything will have on patients and, and the clinicians serving those patients. Because um, it's really easy to say, oh, you know, uh, my grandma had this problem and it really pissed me off. And so I decided that I was going to create this solution for, for it. And on the surface, it's great. And, and it's a point solution that could like really help people in that situation. And they're like, why am I not getting traction? Why doesn't anyone want this? This is a great idea. And I'm like, yes, it is a great idea. Uh, but you need to understand the entire landscape and how that's going to affect like workflows. For example, you just added more work for the doctor. They're not going to want to do that. Uh, you just added more costs and like, yeah, the outcomes maybe are good. But again, to your point, where's the data? This could have benefited your grandma. And then maybe like the one nursing home that signed up for it was like a little bit better, but it's not enough to really make that impact. And clinicians can stop and say, hey, you know, you need to think about like this end to end. Like here's the reality of our day-to-day -day life. And then here's the reality of the patient's life, the reimbursement, insurance, all of that stuff is super important to consider which is one of the reasons why it makes it all so hard, why there's, you know, 8,000 digital health companies and you only have ever heard of seven of them. And, you know, even the highly capitalized ones are now declaring bankruptcy. So it's a very hard industry to break into. On the flip side of that, it's also sometimes important why you might want to partner with people who have been in the industry. So I was talking to a, a, a doctors and the end of his residency recently. And he had a cool idea for a device. And then we started talking and it was pretty cool. And so then I started asking him about like, well, what's the impact? You know, is this a nice to have or is this a need to have? You know, how are you making money off this? How would you address, like who supplies this device currently? 
and he named some really giant companies. And I was like, well, now you're talking about unseating Boston Scientific from GPO contracts that they own across the country that are going to affect spend on this level. And then, you know, hospitals are going to say, well, we're non-compliant to our GPO. Where's our rebate on that? You know, there's all this other like business side of it too, that it can be really, really challenging if you haven't like lived that complex life. So it's all to say that healthcare is super complicated and you have to have both. You have to have heads up about how that industry kind of operates, but equally, if not more important, is the clinical aspect and ultimately how things are going to impact downstream workflows, clinicians, treating patients. Yeah, I mean, I obviously have a very biased opinion on that topic, <laughs> being a clinician myself. But, you know, I think that you hit the nail on the head. I think clinicians, when you bring them in, we ask the questions that you wouldn't really ask if you weren't living it day to day, right? And you also mentioned something really important that I see a lot of people overlook is they they focus so much on the patient experience, but they don't focus on the clinician experience. And I I tell I'll tell these I'll and I talk about this with some of the companies, and I'm like, if you don't have the clinicians on board, guess what? You're not you don't have a product eventually. It's going to die out because these clinicians are going to stop recommending it, or they're going to yeah. find workarounds. Do you know how I know? Because I do these do this day to day. <laughs> I've I find workarounds to things that I don't want to use all the time on a daily basis, unfortunately. And, you know, and the other thing that I like to tell people is like, look at healthcare as an ecosystem, because every little thing that you try to change is going to affect downstream and upstream. You know, just because you made a point of care solution, that doesn't mean it's going to stay in that little environment. It's going to affect all the other sides. And again, that's another reason why a clinician is helpful because we can sh we can steer you in different directions and be like, okay, this is a great idea, but have you thought about X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. And if you haven't, then okay, we need to fix that, and then we can then we can move forward. I talked to somebody recently. He he's creating a um, like a EHR system, and he said that when he started in healthcare, he has like a computer science background. His company is called Ambula, but he said that he went to a clinician's office because he didn't know like what was going on because they were, they made this product and he was like, he's, he's a UX designer by, tr by training. So his, his whole thing is like empathizing with the client. Right. But man, this guy spent a year. He got there before everyone showed up and got and left like when everyone left. And for like a year, he just sat with them and he said it was, it was eye opening as to like what everyone is dealing with. And that like really helped him steer his product to what it was and you know when i saw it and i used it i could tell that he was really cognizant of what the different user journeys are for the nursing staff you know um, the surgeon the anesthesiologist and ex you know scheduler so on and so forth yeah yeah i think i remember the first time i went into the or during a surgery to see our products used and i was like and it had been, you know, months, right, or however long since I've been marketing and product managing. And I mean, I knew the products, I knew the codes, I knew how much money we made on each of them, GPOs that were the biggest ones, the hospitals we sold to, like, you know, I knew a lot about it. I knew the designs, theoretically how they worked. But like, until you see someone grab a, you know, sterile pouch, open it, throw it on the back table, you know, how the the scrub tech needs to like stay sterile, 
bunch up whatever because we sold like disposable drapes um you know and, and drape a microscope in a sterile environment like you don't really know what's up and then until you have i was in a case one time and a, a neurosurgeon draped the microscope and i was like what i was like which is very strange for anyone listening like for uh for a neurosurgeon to do his own draping and he stands there and looks at me and he goes and i'm not scrubbed in he hand me the drape and i was like frozen so like it's one thing to know about it it's entirely different to see it and then it's incredibly different to live it so understanding those three mechanisms i think are really important and as close as you can get to living it is critical when designing launching marketing everything any product especially in health tech and so that to again to the point of get a clinician on the team a co-founder if possible because they live it every day like you want to create an ehr I want a doctor who's been fighting with and dealing with and hating EHRs for 20 years. You know, if I want to create a, a product for or digital health company around rheumatology, I want a rheumatologist who's good at their job, who knows what's up. And if they don't know anything about business, because I've actually literally had this conversation, I'm like, good. I want you to know all about patients and clinical everything in between and tell me what you deal with and what your doctor buds deal with. And ev like, that's your focus, you know, because again, knowing about it is one thing, seeing it is totally different and living it can't be beat. I think it's really important. Yeah. And, um, I can tell you from firsthand experience that at least in healthcare and also in this like daily life, what you think your product is going to be used like is not always the, how the product is going to be used as, Yeah, you know, and, and I think a lot of, some people fall into this trap of blaming the consumer, like, oh man, we made it so easy, but like, it's like, you made it easy for yourself because you were developing this product throughout the whole cycle. Like you have this, you, you're looking at it with blinders, you know, did you ever actually go out and have it tested, you know, beta tested, whatever, to see like how people are actually using it. And, um, it's, 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 it's wild. Like I'll see like, you know, even like things that have been like legacy things like EHRs and such, and I'll see people using it the way, and I'm like, how the, how the heck did you get to that point? Like, wh where did, where did, you know, you got from A to Z, but where the hell in the middle did you get there? And it's, yeah. and you know, and it's something that we use every day. So, you know, imagine something brand new, you know, there's a lot of training that's involved, but I do want to touch on, you know, what you talked about with clinicians without a business background. And, you know, we, we had this, I think our first conversation was me reaching out to you about getting an MBA and, yeah. um, and you told me that it's not necessary and I was still struggling with it. And I decided not to go down that path because I was like, I, I didn't really see the, but do you think that, because I've talked to a couple of clinicians that are afraid of jumping in because they don't have an MBA. They don't, they don't think that they'll be valued enough. Like, is there, is there something to that? Do you think we need an MBA? Um, is there a way we can kind of, I don't know, learn those things, you know, through the school of hard knocks? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, so that unfortunately the answer to that is it depends. Right. And a lot of that, it depends comes down to what you want to do. And so my question to someone always first is, Okay, you're considering getting an MBA, but why? Like, what do you want to do ultimately? Like, you know, someone's like, well, I want to start a company. And I'm like, definitely not. 
you know, it's like no brainer. If it's a, you know, clinician who wants to do, you know, go into leadership at a hospital, then yeah, maybe that's like a good move because the hospital administrators are always going to say, well, you don't have a business background, et cetera, whatever. Um, I don't like that. I don't believe in that uh, because I think that you can learn on the job. And I think what's more important, you know, maybe cliche to say, but, it's, you know, skills can be learned pretty quickly. It's about the character and how hard a person works and stuff. But I think the most important thing always to consider is the transferable nature of so many skills uh, in business. So you know, business is actually really simple, right? It comes down to a few different things, unless you want to be like a CFO. I think it's a little bit complicated, um, you know, like spending and investments and IRRs and what, you know, CapEx rates and all this stuff. But anyways, that's not the point. Uh, the point is in business, you know, you're in business to make money and keep as much of it as possible. Uh, you know, also you're in business potentially to, to make money, but to serve other people, um, customer, patient, whatever it is. So like, that's, that's the point. That's why we, we have businesses and we get really hung up, I think. And, you know, I, like I said, I have an MBA on, on being clever and being witty and like, how do I market better? Right. Or, how do I, do I need to, I should know like organizational psychology or politics to like set up the best teams and all on all that stuff. But then you go and it, it's again to that point of knowing about it, seeing it and living it is if you go to school, you're going to know about it, but you're not even going to really see it and you're certainly not going to live it. And so the best way I think in, in any of the cases is always going to be to go out and live it. So you know, practically speaking, can an MBA help? Because if you want to go work at Google or something and you've been a nurse for 15 years, they're going to be like, well, you know, what are you doing here? You know, like you don't have, you don't know anything about business or whatever. And so from that perspective, it can be helpful. But what can also be helpful uh, is because, okay, say you've been a nurse for 15 years. Uh, you were actually a nurse manager. You ran a really busy OR. Um, you had a lot going on. So you're not just a nurse, right? Like, you know how to manage people. Uh, you know how to put others first. You know how to make decisions quickly. You know how to be directive. You're a leader. These are intangibles that people have trouble putting on paper. So in a way, it's like, okay, I don't have an MBA, but like, that's just three little letters. Like, what am I going to learn? Like, marketing management, you know? Like, do I need that, really? Because... I know how to convince my team that we need to start working in this way versus the way we've been doing it for 10 years, which is really important and improves throughput and improves this and that. And the other thing, like that's a business, those are business metrics. So I encourage people to stop and think through what they're good at. And then, you know, how can you translate that to, to business terms? So it's part of that living it, you know, don't go learn about something that you maybe already know and could potentially live you know, somewhere else, um, whether it's a smaller company or a side project, right? Like you're not going to go get an MBA and know more about marketing than if you, you know, launched a water bottle company that you like drop ship with an Instagram account, you know, and a connected website on Shopify. Like you're just not, that's how you learn about marketing, not by reading textbooks about it.
It's my opinion. Don't tell my stepdad though. He always gets mad at me when I tell people about that. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I think that again, it's just, you know, how close can you get to living it is important. And then how do you translate the skills that you have as a clinician that you do day to day into the kind of business terminology? Cause that's really what it takes. Yeah. And, um, the transferable skills portion of it was, I mean, again, it may sound stupid, but I never thought of that uh, when, you know, I'm trying to make a career switch into digital health. But um, like people like you are, and that's why, you know, I appreciate people like you that um, bring that up because honestly, in healthcare, the way we're taught is you can't get the job unless you're trained properly for it. Like you have mm-hmm. to get some sort of degree, you have to get some sort of on-the-job training with residency or school or something like that. But that's how we're wired. We we never think that, oh, okay, you know, I do have leadership skills or, you know, when we're in a code and a person is literally dying in front of us, we are all calm, collected, trying to get it through, right? You know, like, those are all skills that are extremely valuable through anything but we just never think about that because we just look at it as oh we're just doing our job that's it Mm -hmm. and that's what we're hired to do and that's what we were trained to do and it was kind of like a huge mental shift for me to realize that yes i am doing my job but what i'm doing here can also be transferred everywhere else and it might sound stupid to say out loud but it took me a long time to get to that point yeah i don't think it's stupid at all to say out loud because i think a lot of people and not just clinicians and clinicians, it's probably the hardest for if you look across a lot of different professions. It's not easy for any profession, but I mean, you go to school for a long time. You learn, you know, specific ways to do things. You have lives on the line. And you're right. It's like you're trained in a way that's to say, I always put other people first. And like, this is it's just part of my job. This is what I do. Um, and so it's got to be really, really hard to step out of that and see how special and unique and important it is um, because you do it on a daily basis and you're used to it for for lack of a better term. And then it's it's hard for other people. Listen, if you've been a financial analyst or if you've been working on, you know, Wall Street or whatever, and you want to make a shift and go like, I don't know, into lumber, like it, it's got to be a hard thing. Like if you want to go be in marketing or go work for an ad agency, they're going to be, and everybody is always sort of like, well, what have you done? Right. And it needs to be the same, but people rarely ask, what are you capable of doing? And I think that's the really important thing to show. If you're trying to make that shift from clinical, whatever, to any kind of business type of role is showing what you're capable of versus what you've done because you know i think a clinical cv is like long and all the places you've worked in it's very clinical and it's great you know but it doesn't show what you're capable of just shows what you've done so that's the big mindset shift and it's a hard one to to really internalize for anybody yeah no it took me a long time i mean it's embarrassingly long time (laughs) to get to that point i bet faster than listen faster than tons of people who've been working jobs they hate for 28 years who didn't realize they could have found a way out so yeah no congratulations on that (laughs) i appreciate that but um but you know no it's honestly really helpful for people like you to kind of bring that up because it might sound really like oh duh but you know honestly coming from the other side it's not oh duh it's like oh snaps yeah no maybe we should do that (laughs) yeah um i wanted to kind of transition into you know now that you've been in healthcare for a long for a better part of your career 
what was the thing that you wish you knew back then like that you know now like what would you tell yourself going back you know when Preston came out of school got his first job like what would you what advice would you give him oh man good question um I would say the kind of to that point earlier I made of that sort of like three steps of things is to get as close to the living it as you possibly can as fast as you can because uh, I did I spent a lot of time learning about things that yeah I love learning and it's great um and or theorizing about things and or talking about things but I spent way less time and I still don't spend enough time living things and so it's intimidating right how do you get it how do you go to the OR like how's a surgeon gonna let you like hang out during their case you know or like what doctor is gonna let you sit in their practice just sort of like watching everybody for five weeks or something like that but you'd be really surprised you know you'd be really surprised uh a nice person like i went to visit this doctor in atlanta he's in direct primary care he's like come on up let's just talk you know one day i just want to learn more about direct primary care and i went you know a little earlier on in my company launch i met a surgeon and i was like here's what i'm doing i'd love to come do a case and he said yeah sure a case on monday come on in and it was a gnarly case but everything worked out um and so yeah that would be my biggest biggest advice is just try your hardest to go with it fast and as much as possible yeah and um i think that people would be surprised at how open healthcare providers are to having people shadow them because if you think about it our whole career is people watching us you know with with training you know mm. because we're training we're training students we're training the next generation so we're we're always used to people like being around us asking us questions especially if you're in like teaching hospitals and such it's like not it's not rare for a doctor be to be followed by 10 plus people room yeah. to room and i'm sure people have experienced that so to add in adding another person in there really doesn't um break break the bank or anything like that but no, that's great advice. And I think that, you know, to those companies that are always looking to get in, that's an easy way in, right? Okay, can we just can we just shadow you for a day, three, yeah. four hours? And if that person says no, there's another doctor that you can ask, even yeah. in the same hospital, right? right? And, you know, and, you know, sometimes teaching hospitals are a little hard to get into just because there's a lot more bureaucracy, but there's a lot of independents out there that in your area that you can probably reach out to. And... <clears throat> The thing is, if you're, and the other thing with that is, if you go in and you're asking thoughtful questions and you're showing them that, hey, you really want to solve the problem, you might have a pilot right there, right? Yeah. No, I definitely think so. Because, I mean, any clinician I've come across worth their salt, all they want to do is help patients. Yep. And if you come in with the genuine curiosity for how you can help that person help their patients better, more, whatever, it's an, that's, that's an easy yes a lot of the time you know ultimately most people ultimately are like kind of trying to sell something and you can feel that clinicians can feel that but if you just want to learn as much as you can and soak it up so that you can ultimately help that clinician help their patients i'm you're going to get a really high percentage of yeses yeah and that's the big thing is like going in without with that mentality because i mean you also have to look at what clinicians are like what kind of people they are right like we're not this is not tooting our horns, but I mean you have to know the personality to be able to talk to that personality. You're you're literally speaking to people that have given up their life to help others. They're not really a lot of times you see these clinicians 
they're having 12, 14, 20 hour, you know, not 20 hour days, but you know, they, they have long hours. They're trying to obviously provide for their family, but what's motivating them is the people that they're serving, right? You know, the mm-hmm. hospital that I work at, you know, our surgeons come in at like 6 a.m. and they don't, they, they're writing notes until 10, 11 p.m. rounding mm-hmm. on patients. You know, these are, this is the kind of people you're leading to. So to, to your point, if you're going in saying, hey, I want to help you help help your patients better that's a much better approach than hey you know um i think we can solve your problem here uh you know do you mind giving us like five minutes to pick your brain that's not a good approach you know like don't ever pick someone's brain (laughs) yeah it's painful guys (laughs) yeah it hurts a lot but um but yeah no i mean that's that's great advice and i just wanted to touch on you know just for just for the listeners you know you do have an you're also a rock climber and a (laughs) avid woodworker i wanted to plug that in there as well you know uh both those skills are interesting because I think they, how, how do you think those kind of like doing those kind of activities has helped you out throughout your career? Yeah. I, it's funny. I think about it probably too much is like, you know, for what's actually beneficial to me, but so, so woodworking is very creative, uh, can be very creative, very artistic. Um, however, furniture is practical. Like you use a desk, you put books on a bookshelf, you sit on a chair. These are practical things. And how do you bring the artistry and creativity to such a practical thing? So it's really helped me to strike a balance between creativity and practicality. And it's made me an incredibly pragmatic person. Um, Because as much as I want to cut some fancy joint or something, you know, in production, is that useful? No, not really. Um, or what are the best ways to create something artistic and beautiful in a practical, pragmatic way? So it's really that's what I've learned the most from woodworking uh, that I apply to a business sort of mindset is how can we bring these creative things and new innovative ideas and and fit them into the practicality of life and the pragmatism that's required, I think, to be successful in, in business and in healthcare. Um Rock climbing's, you know, rock climbing's a little different. It's a fun one for me, but um, it's a big problem-solving uh, endeavor. One of the coolest things about climbing is that you can go be sort of next to a world-class climber, an individual uh, with like no barrier, right? Like the best climber in the world can go climb this piece of rock, and you can also walk up to the same piece of rock which is really cool and it gives you a perspective of the connectedness and humanity that is sort of out there and that like there's no who am i or i'm bad climber or whatever like you still have the same kind of playing field that everyone else has and how are you going to use your own unique capabilities to to play in that arena because it's again into that sort of end it's very individualized. You know, I'm six foot two, you know, like a buck 75. And there's climbers out there who are, you know, who've done way harder things than me that are five zero and weigh 117 pounds or something, you know. And then there's other climbers who are six five and 200 pounds. And so it's like, you know, there's different body types, these different resources that they have but we all go to the same piece of rock to try to get up it. And so where can you find what you have inherent and what resources are available to you 
to solve the problems at hand that are facing you and other people. So it's really sort of a problem solving with the resources you have, maybe ties back into that pragmatism a little bit. Um, and that's what I take away and bring into the business world from, from rock climbing. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I think that um, that really fits into healthcare as well. I think healthcare also has a similar perspective of you know problem solving and taking what you have and using that to solve the problem because at that moment in time, you can't like be like, all right, you know, why don't you wait while you're having this heart attack? We need to, yeah, right? Yeah, you got to solve that problem. Yeah. And to the point of the transferable skills, I'm like, I'm talking to you right now about how being a rock climber has made me better in business, exactly. and that's ridiculous. <laughs> and 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 there's clinicians all over the place who are like, well, I don't know anything about business, and I'm like you've been managing busy ORs or you've been like, you know, a pharmacist at a level one trauma center for how many years? Like, you know, plenty and you're capable of even more. Yeah, no, it's, um, that's kind of one of the reasons why I asked that question was, was because of that. But yeah, man. So what is, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best place to reach out to you or how would on the, uh, hit me on the LinkedIn for sure. <laughs> I am like spend way too much time there, uh, but it's great. Um, and then, if you hit me up on LinkedIn, I'm sure I'll give you my phone number or an email or we'll set up a, a Zoom call because I love connecting with people, uh, you know, live and in person um, as much as connecting on LinkedIn. But, you know, Preston Alexander on LinkedIn and I will be there all day, every day, pretty much. So that's the yeah. best place. And I can say from experience, definitely reach out to this guy. Uh, he's very, very wise and he will help you out a lot. Um, and I can speak from experience. Kind. But no, thank you, Preston, for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a great day. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me. It's been uh, a real pleasure getting to know you and, and watching the way that you've positively impacted healthcare and the change that you're undoubtedly going to bring uh, to it generally and in the digital health space specifically in the near future. I really appreciate that a lot. Uh, thank you so much.